You can be seated if you're not already. That's all right. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, so this morning, uh, in preparation for Thanksgiving, I thought we'd go to Habakkuk, that traditional Thanksgiving text. Uh, <laughs> We're actually going to spend two weeks looking at the book of Habakkuk, uh, and, and part of this is, um, in the back of my mind, I want to preach on every text in the Bible at some point in time or another, and I came to the realization, I've, I've never heard a sermon out of the book of Habakkuk. I've heard Habakkuk referenced on a Sunday morning, but I've never heard it preached. I've never heard it uh, taught all the way through. And uh, in reading through the prophets recently, I came to this book, and I realized in a lot of ways, it relates to the time that we're living in right now. I think like Habakkuk, a lot of us would look at the world and we'd, we would exclaim violence, and we would ask God, where are you in all of this? I see, I see oppressors, and I see people who are oppressed. I see violence, I see wickedness, I see evil, I see trouble, and I don't know where you are in all of this. Um, it's, it's very easy for us sometimes to be overwhelmed by the trouble that we see in the world and feel a little bit helpless and maybe just kind of not, not questioning whether or not God is there, but questioning what it is he's doing. And so this morning, I'd, I want to tell you, I think Habakkuk starts off in the same place a lot of us feel when we look at the world around us and we see wars happening in places uh, that are far off and we see conflict in our own lives, and we kind of ask ourselves, what, what is it that God is doing in this moment? What is his response going to be? And am I helpless in all of this? I think as we read through the book over the next two weeks, what we're, what we're ultimately going to come to, and I'm giving you spoilers here, is that God is good. Can I get an amen on that this morning? I don't usually ask for amens, but that's like if none of us can say God is good, maybe we should just pack up and go this morning. God is good, and what he's doing is a good thing. Even if we don't always recognize what is happening or how he's going to conclude it, God is doing something good. You know, in, in the news lately, there's been a lot of uh, discussion about what's going on in, in Palestine, in Israel, the Gaza Strip, all of these questions about, you know, who's in the right and who's in the wrong. And oftentimes we want to say one side or the other are the bad guys, and, and uh, that's, that's all right. But I've learned from Don Stutzman over the years that sometimes it's not black and white. Sometimes you look at the, the scriptures, for example, and we see someone and we say, well, this is the bad guy in the story. And maybe they're not the bad guy. Maybe they're just in the wrong, like every other human being has been at some point in their lives. Habakkuk looks at the world, and he's looking at the, the southern kingdom of Israel. He's looking at this, this divided kingdom, really, and the, the difficulty that's being faced. But he's looking at this group of individuals around him who are God's people who treat each other terribly, who do not follow the laws that God has given to them, who are violent towards one another, who oppress the poor, who mistreat those who are at a disadvantage in life. And he asks God, what are you doing in all of this? Why do I see violence among your people? 
And interestingly, God then, you know, responds. He, he has, uh, as we saw that last verse up there, a response to Habakkuk. But I want to look at Habakkuk's words before we look at God's response. It begins by this, O Lord, how long shall I cry for your help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk, like many of the prophets, has a well-developed sense of justice. Um, a, a writer, his name is Abraham Heschel, he wrote about the prophets, like his magnum opus, his greatest work was writing about the prophets from a Jewish perspective. And he wanted to understand what is it that sets the prophets apart from the rest of Israel. And in many ways, an individual prophet will have a highly developed sense of one nature of, of who God is, one aspect of God's nature. Uh, when you look at Jonah, Jonah has an overdeveloped sense of justice, right? What I think the wicked deserve is absolute destruction, just not me if I'm the wicked one, right? When you look at Isaiah, there is very clearly a, a heightened sense that God will work right in the world, even if in the moment things are not going particularly well. With Jeremiah, there is a mourning, a weeping, a sorrow that he feels in the heart of God. And I think Habakkuk looks at it, and he, I think he has just about the right amount of a sense of justice. He says it's not right that the wicked should prevail, that the wicked should be allowed to continue to do what they do while the just are hemmed in. I think most of us would agree with him. And what he's ultimately asking is, God, are you really as still and uninvolved as I feel you are right now. And a lot of us don't ever get quite that bold in our approach to God. We might ask God, hey, what are you doing here? Can you give me some insight, some wisdom, so that I might understand your ways and your purpose? But we don't ever get to the point where we say, God, I just don't see you working here. I think that makes some of us uncomfortable, the idea that we could approach God and ask, are you doing what I think you're supposed to be doing? The interesting thing about it, though, is that when we, when we look at God's response, we, we get the sense that first and foremost, God can stand up to our questioning. God is not afraid of what questions we might bring to him, of, of the like real struggles that we have in our lives, right? Uh, I often think about parenting from this perspective. When, when we have young children, they tend to ask pretty simple questions in a volume that is overwhelming and chaotic, right? They have a lot of whys to ask. And as they get older, those questions get a little bit more complicated, but less frequent. So when they're down here, the reason we don't want to answer the question is because we've answered a thousand of them already today. When they get to be about 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, the questions they're asking are difficult to answer. And so we find ourselves really struggling with, do I, do I want to take the time to try and answer this right now? Do I have the energy? Do I even have a good answer for them? We struggle as parents sometimes to feel as though we are equipped properly to answer the difficult questions that our children ask us. 
But God is not like that. God is not afraid of the questions that we might have for him, even about himself. There are times where I think, you know, one of my kids is going to ask me a question I'm not really comfortable answering about who I am or the things I've done in my past. God is not like that. God is prepared for our difficult questions. In addition to that, I think the question that we're being asked here is, is it wrong to be discontent? Is it wrong for our hearts to be stirred in such a way that we feel uncomfortable or distressed by the world around us? And I'm going to tell you this morning, I think as we read through the book of Habakkuk, the answer we're going to be given is, it's all right to be discontent with the state of the world. In fact, I think if we jump over to the Beatitudes, what we see is that Jesus tells us, those who mourn will be comforted. Those who look at the world and say, this is not the way it's supposed to be, will have relief from it. But you have to be discontent to receive the relief. We have to be able to look at the world and say, this is not what God wants. This is not the way it's supposed to be. We should be uncomfortable about the way that the world operates. Because if we're not, we're perfectly content with it not being in submission to the will of God. The other question that we have to ask ourselves is, what is an appropriate response to injustices bigger than we can address? Habakkuk is one man, one person in an entire nation of people who looks and sees that nobody is living according to the will of God. Now, God calls a lot of prophets over the course of this this pre-exile era to speak to the people of Israel, but we see that ultimately, even though they are God's prophets, they are not powerful enough to turn the people's hearts toward God. They proclaim what will happen if the people don't turn toward God. They rally, they, they shout, they you know, do these awkward, weird demonstrations in the middle of the capital. They do things that are intended to provoke a response from the people of Israel, but none of them manage to turn the hearts of the people. They go into exile anyway. And I think Habakkuk, seeing his contemporaries, other men who are proclaiming the word of God to Israel, feels like, what in the world am I supposed to do as one person if God himself won't step into the situation and change it? Is it appropriate for us to feel like we can't do anything? And if it's not appropriate, what is the appropriate response? So continuing on here, I want to take a look at what it is that God ultimately says to our friend Habakkuk. He says, look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. God is patient in his response to Habakkuk. He doesn't begin by saying, who do you think you are? Now, if you go and read the book of Job, you might get a little bit of that, who do you think you are? Hey, do you understand who I am? Do you have the context and perspective that you need to be able to address a situation as big as the one you're facing right now? No, I didn't think so. But Habakkuk's questioning receives this response. Look and see what I am doing. It's patient. It's patient. 
It's thoughtful. God's response is also definite. I am doing something. But if I, if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. But the other thing that we see about God's response, which we're going to look a little bit more at here in just a moment, is that it's not what Habakkuk might have hoped for. The truth is, what God ultimately tells Habakkuk is, is maybe more distressing than the situation which Habakkuk is observing right now. God tells Habakkuk, I am, I am raising up the Chaldeans. I'm going to send them in, and they will conquer. And they will do the work that I have intended for them. They are going to set things right It's interesting because Habakkuk, I think, is hoping that God is saying, I'm going to come and I am going to take care of all of this by carefully and gently instructing the people in the right ways to live. But God has already done that. We spent an entire summer looking at the teachings of Moses to the people of Israel in which Moses warns the people, if you should stray from the teachings that God has given you, this is how it's going to go for you. Spoiler alert, not well. And what we end up seeing is that the people of Israel have been gently instructed. Then you read the book of Judges, and you see that they've been both gently instructed and firmly reprimanded when they haven't followed the gentle instruction. And then you see the story of the kings, and what ends up happening there is this story of of the people rejecting God altogether and receiving the king that they deserve for it, and then God saying, and now I will give you a good king. And the story of Israel plays out in this way, that God oftentimes does gently instruct the people, but then he also has to teach them through the hard lessons of life. Because some people only learn through experience, not through advice. Israel is very much the experience group. This morning, I want to take a look at at this next little bit of uh, the scriptures here. Whoop, I skipped way over that. Habakkuk, in hearing that God is going to raise up these Chaldeans, he says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. What does this have to do with this conversation that Habakkuk and God are having? Because Habakkuk is arranged as a a demand from Habakkuk to God, a response by God, concern from Habakkuk about the situation, and then God's ultimate explanation, followed by the thing that I think we're all supposed to do, which is praise. And in Habakkuk, hearing what it is that God has said, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, this mighty group of people who do wicked things, but they are really effective in conquering nations. Habakkuk says, look, are you not the everlasting and holy one? I know we aren't going to die because you've ordained us for judgment. You've established us for reproof. Or established them for reproof, sorry. I know what you're saying you're going to do, but you know, Habakkuk kind of worries about this. You know, the the problem with raising up the Chaldeans is that the Chaldeans are the bad guys. I've been using the term Chaldeans this morning because that's what Habakkuk calls them, but we know them under a different name. 
When you go and you read through scriptures, you read about this this terrible enemy force, this group of people who are the anti-Israel. They are the opposite of God's chosen people. They are the people who have rejected God and elevated themselves. They are the individuals who say, you know what, our strength is our God. We worship ourselves and not the God who created us. These are the Babylonians. And for individuals who would be reading Habakkuk, especially in the time of Jesus, Chaldeans is just a nice way of saying the bad guys. And God has told Habakkuk, I'm raising up the bad guys to deal with my chosen people. And this is the consternation that Habakkuk finds himself in. What do you mean you're raising up the Chaldeans? the Babylonians. Don't you know, God, what they are like? And he he begins to tell God, this is what I know of the Chaldeans. He says, you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Habakkuk says, look, I know these people. I know what you've made them or allowed them to become. I know the way that they operate. They kill and they kill again. They conquer a nation, they empty their net, and they move on to the next and what's interesting about this is that Habakkuk has no, no like, difficulty in understanding the people that God has chosen for this particular purpose. What he doesn't understand is what's supposed to come after. This is what you've chosen to do, God. This is the way that you've chosen to respond to your people. This is the way that you've chosen to set things straight by bringing a foreign nation full of evil and wicked people who have mastered the art of conquering and puffing themselves up to conquer us. Where does it end? Will they just move on to the next nation and you'll forget about us? In many ways, I think this is, this is the big question that Habakkuk has for God. This is the big concern that he experiences. How, how is it possible that God would use wicked people to do his will? In most of your Bibles, this is called Habakkuk's second complaint. The first complaint is, look, God, there's a lot of violence in the world, and I don't know what you're doing about it. And then God says, this is what I'm doing about it. And Habakkuk says, I don't like what you're doing about it. Do we sometimes feel that way? We look around, and maybe we notice how God is working, and we say, I'd rather you do it some other way. I'm discontent with the state of the world, but you know what? I think your solution to it, God, might be a little bit worse. There's this... uh, not particularly great movie, but maybe great movie. It had Morgan Freeman in it, but it also had Jim Carrey in it. And depending on how you feel about those two individuals, you either loved the movie or you hated the movie. It was called Bruce Almighty, right? And Bruce uh, prays to God 
that, uh, that everything would just work out all right, that, that he'd have the ability to make the choices that he felt like God should make. And, and the rest of the movie is essentially spoiled brat Jim Carrey having the powers of God to change situations however he sees fit. And he makes a big mess of it, right? Like everyone who prayed to win the lottery wins the lottery, but then they all have to split it together, which means that like what was a billion dollar jackpot is split like 45 cents to each person and they still have to pay taxes on the 45 cents. It's a bad situation because the impatient human being with limited perspective has decided that he's going to take the will of God and make that nothing and elevate his own. God, all the problems in the world, why don't you just fix them? Why don't you come up with a solution to these problems? Why don't you do what I would do? And that's a little bit of Habakkuk's response to God here. Look, I get that you're saying that you're going to bring the Chaldeans in here to set us all straight, but that's not going to leave any of us left to be your chosen people because they're going to take us into their net, cast us out, and move on to the next civilization, and that just doesn't seem like an A-plus plan. I admit, sometimes that's how I feel about what's going on in my own life. God, look, I know you've got a plan in all of this, but it seems like a pretty lousy plan. Ultimately, Jim Carrey's character, Bruce, he comes to the realization that, like, oh, you know, maybe the problems of the world are bigger than I can handle on my own. Maybe I should just worry about my little sphere, my little space. Maybe I should do the right thing by, by my girlfriend or by my neighbor or by the people that I work with and treat them particularly well. I'm not equipped to handle the problems of the world. I'm barely even equipped to handle my own problems. Maybe I should just trust God is in control. But as we continue on here, what we end up seeing is that uh, you, you have this statement, you who are of a purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? In chapter 2, it begins with, I will take my stand at the, my watch, uh, should not say watch list, watchtower and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Look, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't like the solution you've proposed. But I'm going to step back and allow you to answer me. And then maybe I'll have another response. As Christians, this should be the way that we respond when we are discontent about what God is doing or what we think he's not doing. Look, I recognize I don't have the full picture. Let me step back and see what it is you're doing. Let me pray about it. And then if I have more questions, I'll raise those questions. Habakkuk wonders where the justice is if one evil nation is simply devoured by one even worse. Is the cycle endless, right? But he expects that God has a better answer than the one he's already given. You've given me this much information, God, if you would just give me this much more. Help me see more clearly what it is you're trying to do. Your eyes are purer than mine. And yet it seems like you're looking at this injustice and doing nothing about it. 
And this is what God responds to Habakkuk with. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets. So he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his, meaning the Babylonians, soul, is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. This is God's encouragement to Habakkuk. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God doesn't say, this is exactly how I'm going to handle it in this particular section. Next week, we'll cover a little bit more of what God does say. But he begins by telling Habakkuk, I have a plan. I have a good solution. Be patient. You don't see it now, but it's, it's coming. You're discontent. I understand it. I recognize it. Not only do I tolerate it, but I empathize with it because I see the situation Israel is in and it breaks my heart. And so I'm going to do this other thing and you're not going to like it and Israel's not going to like it and you know what? I don't particularly like it either. But it is the best solution. God doesn't want to punish his children. He doesn't want to send the Babylonians in to correct Israel. But he recognizes that this is the expedient and necessary solution. But what comes after is the big plan. He begs Habakkuk, just wait for it. Some of us right now, as I said earlier, are sitting in a world where we ask ourselves, what is God doing? Why does it seem like he's just not responding to the wicked and evil that I see in the world? Jesus, come back right now. Just set it all straight, right? I don't want to have to deal with any of this anymore. And it's good for us to long for the return of Christ. Absolutely. We should all be doing that. Pray every day for Jesus to come quickly. But if he doesn't, if he doesn't return to fix what we're seeing happening in this very moment, it's not that he's idly sitting by. He's asking us to be patient. He's asking us to wait and see what he will do. When it comes, it will be the appropriate time. And so as we get ready for Thanksgiving, and we recognize a world in turmoil, and maybe lives of our own that are in turmoil, and conflict that exists globally and interpersonally, and we find ourselves being really, you know, struggling to be thankful because it seems like maybe God just isn't present in the situations that we're facing, remember these words. It, it seems slow. Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Where is God's justice for you 
for those who are downtrodden, for those who are outcast, for those who have been oppressed. It's coming. Next week, we're going to look at Habakkuk's response to God. And hopefully, having spent, you know, Thursday, and, and if you, you know, are like me, avoiding Black Friday and, you know, maybe spending a little more time being thankful before jumping into all the sales that happen on Cyber Monday. At least wait till Cyber Monday to be greedy, right? Uh, be thankful through the weekend and spend all your money on Amazon on Monday morning. Don't do that. It's bad advice. Hopefully next week we'll be in the right frame of mind to recognize the thankfulness that Habakkuk has for a God who is bigger than himself. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we acknowledge that there is violence everywhere. And we exclaim it, we proclaim it loudly, we recognize it, we, we beat our chests at the, the injustices that we see in the world, we beat our, our chests at the idea of, of just one more war happening. And our hearts ache because we know this is not what you intend for your people, it's not what you intend for your creation, it is not what you intend for, for brothers in humanity, and we ask you to act, knowing that you will, but oftentimes impatient for your response. Give us patience. Help us to wait. Help us to know that it will not come slowly when it arrives. It will come in its due time. And if nothing else, help us to be thankful for a God who is faithful and steadfast, even in our impatience. Thank you for your patient response to our questions. Thank you for being big enough to stand up to our discontent and the hard questions that we ask. Help us to be appreciative of a God who is not too small to stand up to our, our demands, to our scrutiny, to our, our consternation. Thank you for your son, Jesus, and the plan that was fulfilled in him, the thing that we long for deepest in our hearts, for the kingdom of heaven to be realized in ways that it, it is not already but has been for us individually. I pray, God, that you would just work in our lives this coming week to help us to be thankful, to help us look patiently for the response that you offer. That's all this that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, if you are experiencing turmoil in your life and looking at the world and saying, where is God in all of this? We don't always have the perfect answer, but we do believe we have the best answers that there are. I'd be happy to sit with you and visit with you, pray with you about the trouble and turmoil that you're facing. Uh, I'd be happy to you know, point you towards our elders who would pray with you and walk you through whatever situation you're facing. If you want to be baptized into Christ this morning, we have uh, water not ready, but it could be very quickly, uh, to baptize you. I'm going to be at the back of the auditorium. Uh, actually, I'm singing bass, so I won't be at the back of the auditorium, but our elders would be happy to meet you at the back of the auditorium if you have any need of the church. Uh, let's stand and sing.